And as is our custom, we took a break from it last time because I didn't have the book with me, but we are doing one or two Hasidic thoughts or aphorisms before each class. So we're now on the subject of loving one's fellow, which is obviously a very big a big uh, emphasis in Hasidic, Chabad Hasidic thought and Hasidus in general. So this quote comes from the Tanya, chapter 12. It says like this, As soon as any negative thought or any thought of hatred comes to you, God forbid, or some kind of jealousy or anger or upsetness, you should not accept this in your mind to think about it willingly. In other words, it's like a pop-up. These thoughts are pop-ups. You can't control the pop-ups unless you have a really good filtering system. But back in the olden days, it was hard. Um, but you have the control to shut down the pop-up. So let's say you have a pop-up of a thought that is negative, even if it's justified, a hatred or a, a jealousy, an anger. You should not accept this. You should reject. You should close the pop-up. That's what the Alter Rebbe is saying in chapter 12 of Tanya. You shouldn't, shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't indulge such a thought. Now, we should make a qualification here. This is not talking about cases of abuse where a person is being abused. God forbid. That's not what we're talking about here, that they should just ignore it. They need to deal with that. that he's talking about a case where you know, nobody's being abused, but a person has a negative thought about a fellow. You know, It happens when you interact with people. Sometimes you see things that are not so positive or appear to be not so positive in your mind or they offended you or your ego was bruised and this human nature. But Dr. Rebbe is saying, don't indulge these thoughts. To the contrary, as he, as he says, the brain, the mind has the power to, to control what's in your heart to do the opposite of what your heart is telling you. So your heart is saying, you know, I hate this guy. But you can act in the exact opposite way and act in a way of kindness and with affection, even more affection than usual, and not to get angry. And also not to take revenge upon the person to repay them what they, as they behaved, as the Torah says, you're not allowed to take revenge, but rather to do good to those who are not necessarily deserving. And we learn that from Joseph and his brothers. Alter Rebbe concludes, that he says that we learn from the Zohar. The Zohar says that we should learn from Joseph and his brothers. Okay, this is a very high ideal. There's obviously situations where this is very, extremely hard to implement. and uh, But as a, to take the general principle of the, the concept of loving one's fellow is to such an extent that we don't want to indulge negative thoughts, if possible, we should try to act in a loving way, even when it doesn't seem justified. The second thought over here is, this is from chapter 32 of the Tanya, the heart of Tanya, Lev of Tanya. It says that even those who are very distant from Torah of God and of the worship of God, you should draw them close with thick cords of love and the holy high and maybe maybe there's a chance that you'll be able to draw them close to the Torah and to the service of God even though it's not assured that you're going to succeed it might not even be 
a probability that you're going to succeed. He says, maybe, maybe, kuli haiva ulai, maybe, maybe, you're going to be able to bring them close to Torah. For that is worth to draw them close with thick cords of love. So, of course, that's a revolutionary idea. Today, to this day, many Jews don't think that this is right. They think that, oh, if somebody's a rebellious Jew, you need to shun them and you need to hate them and you need to cut them off. So, the Alter Rebbe says that's not the case. Now, is this an innovation of Hasidus? Is this something that is particular to Hasidism? So, the, the Rebbe commenting on that part of the Tanya says that there are three sources for this that precede the Tanya of the Alter Rebbe. The first is Tomer Devora, which is a book by Rabbi Moshe Cardevero, known as the Ramak by his acronym, who was a Kabbalist going back to the days before the Arizal. So this precedes Hasidism, precedes the Baal Shem Tov. And what does he say in chapter 2 of Tomer Devora, which is literally the palm of Devora? He says, A person should accustom himself to insert the love for one's fellow in his heart, in your heart, to instill it in your heart, even for the wicked. Even for the wicked, you should instill the love for them as if they were your brother and even more. So that's the quote from Tomer Devorah, very clear. So it's not something new from the Alter Rebbe that you're supposed to love even the, the wicked. There's another quote from Shevet Musar, who says that this is a rabbinic teaching. He says that God loves the wicked as well. God loves the wicked. And finally, from the Magid of Mezrich, who was the teacher of the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Dovber of Mezrich, the student of the Baal Shem Tov and successor of the Baal Shem Tov, he said, you should love a completely wicked person in the same way that you love a completely righteous person. So this is radical statements that help us understand a little bit of what it means, the, the Hasidic idea of love for one's fellow. That deserves a L'chaim. All right, let's jump in to... Rambam, second chapter, we have to first return to a question that Jonathan asked last class, which was, where do we get the idea of 12 months of the of the moon? 12 months of the sun, we understand. The sun makes its cycle in 365 days, so we divide that into 12, we get 12 months. Um, but what is the 12 months of the moon? The moon is not making any cycle over 12 months. And the answer is that it is arbitrary to say 12 months, but that is just to, to be in sync with the seasons of the year, to be in sync with the, with the solar year. So as the Rambam said, we, we establish the months according to the moon, because that's authentic. And we establish the, the year in coordination with the sun so how many how many moons how many months of the moon do you do you need to get to close to a year because you're not not going to be exact you to 12 months but that is all that it is as far as what i was able to find in the commentaries um, nothing more than that i mean there are things just thinking now that the 12 constellations of the zodiac um, 
it could be it it align it, it aligns with that. Hasidus kabbalistically, there is the idea of twelve as a as a number, and thirteen being like beyond the norm. Like eight is beyond seven, which is beyond nature. Thirteen is also like the thirteen principle uh, attributes of God's mercy. So twelve is a number from from a kabbalistic perspective within the uh, DNA of of creation. There is this concept of twelve, but from a purely halachic um, point of view. It is purely to coincide with the solar calendar. Beseder. Right. Yeah. So. Right. Six months. I mean, it's yeah. a matter of days that we count. Um, right, right. Hello, we can't see you, but we hear you. Okay. No worries. Okay, well, let's go to chapter two. This uh, chapter is going to be about the witnesses that we said in the first chapter that we require witnesses to... Um, sanctify the moon, sanctify the new the new month. And by the way, when we say sanctify the new month, we were talking about sanctifying the day of Rosh Chodesh. So that that day is holy, like Shabbat is holy, the uh, holidays are holy. The day of Rosh Chodesh is holy, not in the same extent as Shabbat and a holiday, but it does have a holiness, and that's what we mean by Kiddush Hachodesh, the sanctification of the month is meaning the sanctification of that day as Rosh Chodesh and making it a holy day to a certain extent. So now we're going to talk about these witnesses who without which we cannot do that. So he says like this, In other words, in the Torah we have this concept of testimony. That testimony is not just a you know, a way to know if something occurred or something is true, but it has a power onto itself. And so, who does the Torah say can be can be witnesses? They have to be people who are kosher. They are righteous. That when it comes to monetary matters or capital cases, witnesses that the Rambam has a whole section, laws of witnesses. He doesn't get into it here, but says wherever you need to have a kosher witness and whatever requirements there are for kosher witnesses in other cases, the same thing applies for these types of witnesses. You know, you might have thought, well, it's just about the moon. It's not the whatever. We know it's basically, you know, we're close to Rosh Chodesh. Does it really have to? No, it has to be the same as the other types of witnesses. Avol nashim avadim Okay, so we have certain disqualifications uh, regard when it comes to witnesses. Um, for example, relatives cannot be witnesses. So if uh, we do a wedding and you know you need two witnesses at the wedding. Interesting by a wedding is the witnesses that 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 create the event. If the, if there's no witnesses. Nothing happened. It's not just that they're testifying that something happened. They, their presence, you know, like they're they're uh, they're observing it. Like we know from from science, when the observation changes the reality, so the observance of 
the wedding ceremony by the two witnesses that that affects the event affects it with a with a with a e so wit witnesses cannot be relatives so if my, we're doing a wedding myself and rabbi yale since we're related we cannot be the two witnesses this is the torah says that's what it is um so the rambam says what happens if you have two relatives who saw the witness who saw the moon it makes a lot of sense relatives hang out with each other he gives the example of a father and a son ah father and a son they went for a stroll they look up they see the moon beautiful let's go to the beddin and they realize they're relatives their testimony is going to be thrown out so what does the rambam say avubinoi Father and his son, they saw the moon. They should go to the court to testify. Why? Not because the testimony for the new month is okay to be done with relatives. Rather, if one of these two, the father or the son, will turn out to be not kosher to be a witness... Why? Maybe he's a thief. <laughs> there went our romantic story. One of them is a thief. So there's going to be other people coming to testify that probably also saw the moon. So if one of these two from this set is not kosher, and there's another non-kosher from another set, they'll take the two kosher ones, put them together. Boom! We have a kosher set of witnesses. In other words... We want to encourage as many people to come, even if it doesn't seem that their witness, their testimony is going to be effective, because maybe it'll be effective. This is so important. We don't want to take any chances and say, don't come. Come. Now the Rambam addresses, what if this person is kosher to be a, a witness by biblical law, but by rabbinic law, he's not kosher to be a witness. Let's say, for example, things that are um, rabbinically considered to be theft, even though on the biblical level they're not. So they would be, this person would, be, if it were, it would transgress that, would be uh, disqualified from being a witness by rabbinic law. So you might think, well, we're talking about a Torah law of making the new month. Do we overlook the rabbinic disqualification? Says the Rambam, no. Even though he's kosher from Torah law, he is disqualified from giving the testimony for the new month. Any questions or comments? Interesting.
built into the process. And it, it actually does suggest that, but it's kind of more voluntary, voluntary than... Uh, it's very. It's a very good point. Uh, why? And we'll see this throughout that they were just, you know, they left it to if people come and testify, then it'll be Rosh Chodesh. If nobody comes, it's not Rosh Chodesh. Oh, very good question, Hillel. Rambam will address it. The Talmud thought of it. We'll see. Okay, it's a great question, Iran. I don't have an answer. I will look into it and maybe find an answer, but that's an excellent question. Bay, second law. Welcome, Charles. By Torah law, now you should get a hint right away that this is, gonna, this is not going to be the end of the story because by rabbinic law, it's going to be different. But the Rambam says, by Torah law, because otherwise he wouldn't say Din Torah. I mean, the whole, this is a book of laws of Torah. Why is he saying it's the law of the Torah? Right? So he's saying by Torah law, but not rabbinic law. We do not um, need to be so precise regarding testimony about the sighting of the new moon. Let's see what the Rambam says. I, I don't know if being precise is, the, is a precise translation. Let's see. The reason that we don't have to be so careful we have to be so careful with the testimony is because let's say false witnesses came and said, we saw the moon. And the Bezdin said, yay, today is Rosh Chodesh. Holy, holy, holy. And then two other witnesses came and said, those two witnesses that told you they saw the moon, they're liars. We were with them in such and such a place where... They said they were in this place and saw the new moon. We know they weren't in that place because they were with us in Lud. So, the what is the law? The law is once the Bezdin says it's Kodesh, it's Kodesh, it's holy. Even if it turned out that they sanctified the new moon based on false testimony. So that's why we don't have to be so careful with this testimony. Because it doesn't really make such a big difference if they were if they were lying, it doesn't matter. It's still going to be Rosh Chodesh. Why would someone lie about that? I mean, what's the incentive to lie? Usually in court, someone's lying to protect themselves. Or, but I mean, why would someone lie about claiming to see the moon when they did it? It's a good question. Uh, Iran actually said something. You know. A group of people, they might have a party that they're planning and if the scheduling doesn't work out, they want it to come out on Shabbat or on a Friday so they can they can uh, engineer, they can reverse engineer when they want this day to come out. It, it, Today it's very important because of uh, financial loss, right? Right. They want, it's interesting, uh, we're going to see... chapter every month uh, will be it can't be more than 30 days 30 is the max okay so every month will be 30 days uh it'll be sort of uh, after three years we're gonna correct it with one month um okay let's say they all came on 29 all the all the like that's the other extreme 
The whole right. three years. You have a shorter three year. Years, they came on the 29th, so that's the other extreme. Yeah. So I, th yeah. I think what they're saying is that, you know, the accuracy was not that critical if they were going to be just for as long as on average they'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. I, th I, think, I think practically that probably couldn't happen because I think once you have um, – you know, a number of 29 days, it's just impossible for the moon to be seen. So the, 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 um, as we learned last time in the first chapter, if the, if the Bezdin knows that the moon cannot be seen based on their astronomical calculations, they won't even accept testimonies. But uh, the 30 days, I think that might be possible. But I, I we'll see later regarding adding a month that there could be, um, there could be some, incentive why you would want to add a month or not add a month and it was actually one of my favorite teachings about you know uh, bias which is that the the Kohen Gadol the high priest does not want um, Yom Kippur to come out in closer to the winter why because he has to go to the mikvah on Yom Kippur seven times and it's very cold so he wants it closer to the summer so what's his incentive about adding a month? He doesn't want to add a month. He wants the Yom Kippur to be earlier. So that's an example of where. But I would just say that you know the, the Talmud deals with all kinds of cases, even if they even if they're un, uncommon, right? So it's possible that the in the course of Jewish history you're going to have two. I don't want to say any uh, two nudniks. That'll be a nice word for them. Two nudniks who, uh, for whatever reason, they decided to, to testify falsely. What is the law in that case? The Torah deals with that. And, and, uh, right, right. Right. Yeah. But we're at, we're actually. But this, is Torah, hold on, but this is Torah law, so we know that the rabbis are going to have something different to say, right? Isn't that what you were suggesting? Right. We'll see you in a second. We're soon going to see that there was a group of people who had a, who did have an incentive, and we'll see that in a moment. Therefore, because Torah law is that we don't have to be so careful about it, overly cautious about it. So the, in, at first, the court would accept this kind of a testimony from anybody, from any Jew. Why? Because if they don't know anything about this guy, they haven't heard that he's a criminal or anything like that that would disqualify him from being a witness. They just assume, even though they don't know him, they don't have any. They didn't do any background check on him. It's good. It's kosher. Exactly. Innocent until proven guilty. Fine. But that all changed. What happened? When the Bethusians. Also known as the Sadducees. So the Sadducees and the Bethudians, Sadik and Baisus, were two guys, and their students were the Tzidukim and the Baitusim. And they were the ones who rejected the rabbinic 
tradition. They rejected the, the, the oral law. They said, hey, we're going to read the Torah and interpret it the way we think it should be interpreted, not based on how it's been interpreted, but generation to generation. And according to the Rambam, they actually rejected the Torah itself, but they didn't think they could sell that story, so they just rejected the oral law. But in any case, Misha Kilkul when the followers of Baitos began conducting themselves in a way that with Mekalkil was destroying the, the religion, so they, they would go and bribe people, they would hire people to testify that they had seen the new moon, but in fact they had not seen it. So from then on, it changed. And they established that they did not accept testimony only from people that they recognized that they were kosher. And it was guilty until proven innocent. Unless we know who you are, we're not going to accept testimony from you because... You may have been put up to this by the Bythusians. And secondly, in addition to that, they also would start interrogating the witnesses, examining them and questioning them to make sure that they were not lying. You say, it's Jonathan, you're saying something? You were on mute. Right. The truth will not come out that way. So I have a question for you. In the beginning of the halacha, he said that even if they came to the wrong conclusion, it's still kadosh, and therefore we don't have to be so careful. So why couldn't they just continue with that? Even if they were hired by the baitusim, and they were fooling the court, so what? He said it's it's okay. And they would be derelict in their duty if they would not adopt these new measures 
when the Baitusim are trying to uh, mess around with the calendar. All right, my friends, this has been another wonderful Fabrengen. I'm going to share with you one more. Yeah, go, go ahead. Sure, sure. Well, let's let you, the Rambam actually talks about it, when you have two conflicting uh, witnesses. Yes. So we will get to the, those laws, but uh, practically, um, you know, if someone came on on the on the twenty ninth, right? Or he said he came on the thir- day thirty, and he said, "I saw the moon last night." If the be- if the court examines him and says it thinks he's kosher, they'll say on day thirty, based on what you're testifying that you saw last night, then today is Rosh Chodesh. Day thirty is Rosh Chodesh. So if somebody comes later on the that night and says we thought we saw it on the thirtieth, it doesn't really matter. It's already Rosh Chodesh. Okay. But uh, there could be cases of conflicting witnesses, and, and the Rambam talks about it. Let me let me share with you one more Hasidic thought before we go. Uh, this is from the Alter Rebbe, Rebbe Shneir Zalman of Liadi, the first Chabad Rebbe. He writes in one of his holy letters, Alkain Ahuva Yididai. Therefore, my beloved ones, my my friends, he's talking to his students, this Hasidim, and he says. He says, please, and please again, you should work hard with all your heart and with all your soul to implant firmly love of one's fellow for one's fellow in your heart. So he says, he calls the Hasidim, my beloved ones, my friends, please do me this favor and implant in your heart and in your soul Love for your fellow in your heart. So the Tzemach Tzedek said about this, Tzemach Tzedek was the third Chabad Rebbe, he's the grandson of the Alter Rebbe, he said, A person who implants firmly love for one's fellow in his heart, he becomes the beloved and the friend of the Alter Rebbe. Thank you, gentlemen. This has been another wonderful Fabrengen. Uh, oh. First half of the sentence was good. Chabad really takes it seriously. <laughs> All groups are wonderful. Yes. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. A good Shabbos, and we hope to see you again on Sunday. Bezrat Hashem. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you.